Well, thanks. I'm uh, excited to be here and uh, just love when I get to share with people and uh, love hearing about what you guys get to do. Um, I oversee student life and services, and so that means a student's on-campus experience outside of the classroom kind of runs through my office. And so whether it's what they're doing in their dorm room to uh, how they're starting to get plugged into churches, all that stuff is kind of facilitated through my office. And crazy as it sounds, students move in August 8th. Yeah, I know. So summer is almost over, which is going to be uh, an incredible school year. We have some great things going, and uh, God is doing some awesome things at the school. So it's great to be a part of that. Um, A little bit about myself. I, uh, man, I've worked at the college for three years. Before that, I was off in uh, Missouri Valley, Iowa, just down the road from here as the youth pastor, and uh, got to be a part of Camp Naboa, and so it's exciting. You guys get to go out there today and have a baptism service, and so if you're not going to that, you should, because it's a great place, and it'll be a great thing to celebrate out there. Um, Today is actually uh, my seventh Uh, anniversary, me and my wife, I have a wife, her name is Chelsea, she's leading worship right now in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, at a church we're helping plant, and uh, we've been married for seven years as of today, and so she's incredible, it's awesome. Um, So I'm just going to text her real quick and let her know that... uh, Yeah, hopefully she's not on stage with her phone on. Um, We live in such an incredibly connected world, don't we? I mean, it kind of just blows my mind sometimes to think about that I could pull up an app on my phone and live stream everything we're doing this morning to the entire world for them to tune in and watch if they wanted to. All I need is an internet connection, and whether it's two hours away in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, or 16-hour flight over to Southeast Asia, uh, they could tune in live. And we're just incredibly connected, and text messages are such a, a quick thing. And when you get a text message, let's be honest, you always read it, right? Uh, everybody reads their text messages right away. And so... Uh, How many of you guys have an iPhone? Any iPhone users in the house? Uh, Samsung people won't be angry with you. Well, maybe for a little bit. Um, iPhones have this thing called iMessage. And so when you get a text message from another iPhone or Apple device, iMessage is what's used. And uh, instead of using your wireless uh, or your internet, sorry, instead of using your cell phone company's text messaging service, it uses the internet or your data. And basically, it allows, whether you're on your iPhone, your iPad, or your computer, you receive those text messages. And here's the great thing. When you send that and someone receives it that has an iPhone, it tells you whether or not they have seen your text message. Literally, a little thing pops up under the, thing, under the, the bubble, the blue bubble, that says seen. And then here's where it gets interesting. You can, not only can you tell that they've read your message, but you can tell when they're typing a message back. And so you see these little dot, dot, dot in a bubble, and then sometimes it disappears and they don't send a message. And if you've been there, you're like, you read it, what were you going to say? You stopped typing, and you, why aren't you responding to my message? And with text messages, we always know people get them, and we always expect a communication back. Uh, And it's so easy just to get a message to anybody in this world at any moment in time, just in in a matter of seconds. 
And I sometimes wonder if we wish it was like that with God. Like if God could just speak to us in that way, right? That if God could just give us something at any moment and just tell us uh, what to do in our life or what to do in this moment or how to interact uh, in this situation, like if he could just speak to us. And so some of us in this room are going through life saying, I want God to communicate to us. And I think to some degree, God is going, I want you to communicate with me too. And so communication with God is this thing that I think every single individual can grow and develop. And whether you've been a Christian for uh, a follower of Jesus for 50 years or, or, or 15 minutes, learning to communicate with God is something we all can grow in. And I think the key to communication is the message that God has sent to us through his Bible. Uh, this text is the beginning, the foundation of God's communication with us. If we begin to discover this text, if we begin to look into it, understand it, read it, uh, and apply it to our lives, not only will our lives be changed, but we'll begin to understand what God wants to say to us. We'll be able to understand his voice outside of our times in this. It'll provide a foundation that takes our heart and our mind and makes us able to hear from God in so many different moments. And so the Bible is an incredible message. <laughs> but let's be honest. Uh, well, real quick, my goal for this morning is that you would just commit to reading your Bible. Um, that you would say, hey, I, I will do that because I think it will change your life. But let's be honest, this, uh, this book is incredibly complex. And there's some of us in this room who look at the Bible and we look at it and say, yeah, I don't, man, I don't know that that's that valuable. I don't know that it's true. In fact, I'm not even sure that I want to engage in this because I tried it once before and it didn't really, you know, I didn't really understand it. And so you kind of look at it and say, yeah, I don't, this book doesn't really matter to me and I don't know if there's a value for my life. Some of us in this room approach the Bible that way that we really wonder if it is significant enough to spend our valuable time looking at. But then there's some of us in this room who, who love reading this, right? And it's like you're going to look at it every single day and, and you're going to spend time in it and you're going to know what's in it and you're going to read it and you're going to look at it all the time. Uh, but then there's some of us in this room who have grown up in church. We spent our entire life in the church. We've been to Sunday school. We've been to church. We've been to these uh, different classes. We've been to camp and we know what's in here or we think we do. And so we've based our entire life off of it. The things that we teach our children, the way we act at work, the way we solve our problems, the way we deal with conflict, the relationships that we build are all based off from what's in this book. And we shape our whole entire lives around it, yet we haven't spent much time getting to know what is actually in it. I think you could say that there are those three types of people in this room that approach this book in different ways. Um, and it's an incredible book. And when you get into it, it will open your entire world. It's kind of like every child grows up hating vegetables. And then there's that moment where you actually try one that you like. For me, it was broccoli. And now I am that guy at Subway. You know that guy? The one who walks through the line and you're behind him. And he's like, yeah, I'll take that, a little bit of those. Yeah, all those. Some of those, and everything that's on there back behind in that green section at Subway goes on my sub sandwich, especially if it's the Italian BMT. So uh, I'm that guy you'll get stuck behind at Subway 
but it, it like opened a whole new world. And I think that's what the Bible will do, and that's what God will do in our lives if we engage it. And so the question is, how do we engage this incredibly complex book? In fact, I don't even think we could call it a book, right? I mean, let's be honest. This isn't a book. This is a library. There's 66 books in this library right here. The very first one, which is Genesis, was written around 1400 B.C. The very last one, Revelation, was written shortly before 100 A.D. Think about that. That's almost 1,500 years between the first book and the last book that 40 different authors compiled together in one cohesive story that tells us the story of God interacting with mankind. Like, that's incredible to think about everything that is absolutely in here. Uh, and the weird thing is that it's not in chronological order. Um, this book is absolutely, absolutely incredible. It's the story of redemption. This book is the story of how God has redeemed us and saved us. Uh, it's the story of a father who has gone to great lengths to win the affection of his estranged children. It's the story of a creator who lost his prized creation, his beloved creation, and he's willing to pay the highest price to bring them back to him. It's the story of a king who refuses to use his power, but instead uses humble coming among us to love us and win us back to him. He has redeemed us. It's a powerful, powerful book that contains narrative, that contains prophecy, that contains poetry, that contains stories and letters and autobiography. There is war, there is sex, there is betrayal, there is feuding, there is family, there is love, there is rejoicing. There is everything in this library, and it's all compiled 1,500 years, 40 authors bringing it all together to bring us the story of redemption. You know what it means to be redeemed? It means to buy back. It means to, to regain possession of, to recover by payment, to deliver from sin and its consequences by means of a sacrifice offered for the sinner. To buy back you and me through the sacrifice as an offering to pay for our sins. That's what Jesus did. And you have to give this book a chance. You have to engage it. You have to read it because when you do, it will transform your life. And if you look at it and you say, yeah, I don't believe that, I would ask you which part. The, the, the poetry? Like, that's a, that's a poem. The genesis? The history? Like, what part don't you uh, believe? Give it a shot because it would transform your life if you doubt it, if you're skeptical, if you're unsure I challenge you to engage it. And today, in order to understand this incredible book, I think we need to break apart how it's compiled. I think if we do that, it changes how we interact with it. And so uh, to think about this, 40 years ago, parenting was different. And what I mean by that is you could not get on your phone, scroll through Facebook, and find the latest parenting blog, Okay. There was no Oprah. There was no Dr. Phil. It was, you maybe went down and got a book, but chances are your parents or your family were the ones that were showing you how to raise your children. Uh, maybe some friends or some people at church, but we weren't that connected. I mean, parenting has changed because of media. 
And that's just 40 years ago. You think back to 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, and the gap of time and culture increases. And in fact, I remember uh, I went to Southeast Asia to uh, teach English in a Muslim country. And I remember I'd, walking down the street one day, I wanted a Coca-Cola. And so I walked up to this little stall that was on the side of the road, and I grabbed a Coke, and I, I went to hand this guy money, and I handed him the money. And he shook his head at me. And so I was like, take, take the money. I want to drink my Coke and get on my way. I'm an American. I'm in a hurry. And he shakes his head at me. And then, I, and then I'm like, wait a second. And right in front of him, I just switch it to my right hand and then hand him the money, and he takes it. And it's just a cultural thing of the way they perceive uh, evil and some other things. And there's a few different reasons for it. But um, to hand money to someone in Southeast Asia, in that culture, I had to use my right hand. The left hand was offensive. And uh, that happened to me more than once where I just missed it. I remember one time walking out of the airport in Trinidad, and there's these guys that will just come and grab your luggage, whether you want help or not. In America, you authorize someone to grab your stuff. In Trinidad, they just grab it and take it to your car. I thought someone was trying to steal my luggage. This dude grabs my cart. I take my elbow. I drop it across his wrist and, like, block him out. And, I'm re- and like, my whole missions team that I'm with, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm ready to beat up a guy outside the airport because I thought he was stealing my stuff. And uh, I just didn't get the culture. And so then we start looking at the Bible, and it's a different culture from so many years ago. And like, how can we possibly understand it? And then to, to make it even more complex, you have this massive library of books that's not in chronological order. Um, man, there, <laughs> there's really, uh, so let me help you break this down a little bit. There's two Testaments. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then in between those, there's actually 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak at all. So there's two testaments. Does anybody in here know what testament means? Anyone have an idea? If you could sum up testament in one word, what would it be? Story? Anyone else want to give it a shot? A state? A state. Yes. Yes. Um, it actually means, testament actually could be really summed up by saying covenant. Um, it summarizes the covenant. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament are all about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. There's two real covenants that it seeks to cover. And a covenant is essentially a contract between two people. Right, uh, a housing covenant or a neighborhood covenant, if any of you have those. My in-laws do. Um, I had a Jeep. Transmission was leaking. I had to park it in their driveway for a few days. I get a text from my mother-in-law. Hey, when are you going to be able to work on your Jeep uh, and, and take care of it? Because I put an uh, oil pan underneath it, and then I put cardboard underneath the, uh, the oil pan so transmission fluid didn't get in their driveway. And I, when are you going to come work on your Jeep? A lady was driving by taking pictures of it because they were violating their neighborhood covenant by working on it in their their driveway. Uh, And so, you know, a neighborhood covenant to some people can be a really big deal. Um, A marriage covenant is an even bigger deal. And a covenant with God, the the biggest deal. And uh, the Old Testament is all about God's covenants 
with the ancient Israelites. And the New Testament is the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And God starts all the way back in the flood with Noah, and he says, I will never destroy the earth by water again. That's my covenant. And then he gets to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Everyone will be blessed through you. That is my covenant through Uh, with you that your descendants will be great. And then he gets to Moses and he says, Moses, here is the law. Here is how the entire Israelite nation is going to worship me and live for me and follow me. And he gives all these instructions and these regulations and he institutes a system of sacrifices that every year on the Day of Atonement, this special day, they would come together and sacrifice an animal to roll back the sins of the nation. And year after year they would do that. And that covenant comes in the time of Moses through the book of Exodus and uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then You get to David, and it's, I'm going to bless you, and you will always have a ruler on the throne. And God makes these series of covenants all throughout the Old Testament that are pointing towards Jesus Christ. And then you get to the New Testament, and God establishes a new covenant where Sins are not atoned through a lamb being sacrificed every year, but sins are being atoned through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all. Behold, as it says in John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Old Testament is the amazing story of God making covenants and bringing us along in his story of redemption with the ancient Israelites. The New Testament is Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins and redeeming us and making us new and the story of how the church plants and grows. And we get to be a part of that. Now, to help you understand this a little bit more, I, you all have something in your bulletin. This is a really, really, really helpful guide that I love. If you look at one side, it says Old Testament, New Testament. And if you look, there's actually four parts of the Old Testament. Okay? There is law, history, poetry, prophets, four basic divisions. Um, but here's where it gets confusing. This isn't in chronological order, okay? Uh, The books, all the way from Genesis through Malachi, is not the chronological order. And so all of us have probably done this at some point, where we started reading Genesis, and we're like, oh, this is awesome. You see what God's doing here? Isn't this a great story? Wow, I love it. And then we get into uh, Exodus, and we're like, whoa, that's not like the movie. And then we start reading it some more, and, uh, you know, we're going through it, and we're going through it. And then we get to Leviticus, and it's like we come to a screeching halt. The story stops, and we're reading about the the rules, the regulations, and the the things that God has instructed the Israelites to worship them in. And it's it's like, what happened? And, And we get discouraged, and all of a sudden we put the Bible down because we're lost in the story. And so, uh, You get shaky and you're like, I don't know what's happening here. So I want you to turn the card over and look at the chronological order of the Old Testament. That center line is actually the history. Uh, It's the parts of the Bible that tell the story. And down below are some of the history and some other things. And so really, you look at it and you're like, oh, this is the chronological order of the Old Testament. That makes so much sense. And so if I wanted to read it straight through, getting just the story of what's happening, I would read that center line. But uh, how many of you guys have a photo album? Most of us keep ours on Facebook now, let's be honest. 
Um, if you click on a photo, it gives you a picture, right? You get to see what's happening. Like, oh, they had a great vacation, and that was awesome, and oh, they went for a hike. And, um, but then if you were to read their journal, you would get more insight, right? It would tell you a little bit more about what's happening. Oh, they experienced that, and this is how they were feeling, and this is what was really taking place. See, when you begin to look at some of the books up top, like the prophets or the poetry, it begins to tell you insight into their culture and the other situations that were happening. And so if you read 2 Samuel, you can go up and read Hosea and get another point of view on that current situation. And so if you were to say, hey, I'm going to read the book of uh, 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel, and then I'm going to go read Hosea and Amos and see what it says. It helps you bring the whole story together, right? And so it's pretty incredible. And for example... Um, think about 2 Samuel 11. It's when David looks at Bathsheba, he, the, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, this guy who we all look up to, goes on top of his roof and he looks out and he sees a woman bathing and in a Game of Thrones type moment, he takes her, uh, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant and then kills her husband. And then he's confronted with his sin, and he repents, and Psalm 51 is his uh, interaction with God during that time. And so if you were to go and read Psalm 51 after reading 2 Samuel 11, you get to see David's heart when he realizes what he's done. And so there's this, this certain commentary that happens and as you go through this, uh, the law, the history, the poetry, the prophets, it's pretty amazing. And all these different authors come together to create one cohesive story of redemption. And then you get to the end of the card, to Ezra and Nehemiah. And, it, and the story comes to a halting end. God stops speaking. See, the Israelites weren't faithful to God, so God did uh, what he said he would do, which was he exiled them. And so they get conquered and scattered. And after 70 years of being in exile, God brings them out of that exile and he takes them back to Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild their city. Everything was destroyed. The temple where they worshiped God, the wall that protected them, the houses that they lived in, everything was destroyed. And so they come back led by Ezra to rebuild the temple. And they start rebuilding the temple. And then as they start rebuilding the temple, here comes uh, Nehemiah, and they start rebuilding the walls. And all of a sudden, Israel is a nation again. All of a sudden, the people are back, and they have a temple and a place to worship God, and they begin to cling to the laws that God has given them. They begin to say, never again will we defy God and turn away from God in such a way that he sends us into exile. And so they're clinging to this, clinging to God, clinging to his words, and then Malachi happens. And then it becomes silent. God stops speaking. It's just kind of like, shh, no more message. And in Malachi 3, the last thing, the, one of the last things God sends, says to them, Malachi 3, 1, he says, I will send my messenger 
who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the new of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And he says, you're going to be longing for the messenger of the covenant. And I will send someone ahead of him. And then he will come. And then the silence happens. God doesn't speak. No prophet speaks for one year, for two years, for five years, for 10 years. Pretty soon it's 50 years and God has not spoken to the people. A whole generation has died off and the people don't even remember what it was like to have a prophet among them speaking the words of God. And then a hundred years comes. And here comes the, the Persian Empire to conquer them. And the, uh, here comes the Greece, Greek Empire twice to conquer them. And then here comes the Roman Empire and it's 200 and 300 years. And 400 years of no message from God as the people cling tight to what they know. And they begin to wonder, is this real? Are these stories made up by my parents? Is David and Goliath real, or is it just something created to conquer the, my own Goliaths in my life? And, and it's silent, and God isn't there. And then something absolutely incredible happens in the New Testament. Uh, it's dark. God isn't speaking, and all of a sudden, he shows up to a guy named Zechariah, and then he shows up to Mary and he says, Mary, we're getting this thing started again. Here comes Jesus Christ. You're burying, you're, you're going to have a baby. In that Malachi passage, it, when it's talking about the messenger to come, it was talking about Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist shows up at the Jordan River and he is <laughs> this scraggly, loudmouth, smelly, uncouth guy. Uh, and he says, repent, 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 and prepare the way of the Lord, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there begins to be this murmuring among the cities. From city to city to city, they're saying, is God speaking again? Who is this prophet? Who is this man that claims that something is coming? And so people start coming out of all of the cities, and they're going out to the Jordan River, and he's baptizing them one after another. And the religious leaders go to him, and they say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that Malachi talks about? Are you the one we're waiting for? And he says, no, but there is one who is coming who I am not worthy of. And the very next day, here comes Jesus walking up to the, the, the river. And John the Baptist says, look, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One of the most, I think, dramatic moments in all of Scripture because the silence has ended and Jesus is beginning his ministry and there is hope, there is redemption, there is salvation that everybody that this world has been longing for. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a moment. And then the New Testament starts and salvation is here. New Testament, oh, it's incredible. First four books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different authors writing to give us the three, really the three years of Jesus' ministry on this earth, what it looks like, and so that we can know what he said, who he was, what he was like. And then it gets into the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the history. It's the, like 30 years of the church growing, 
so we can see how God has planned and wired this whole thing up for us. And it's this incredible story of the first believers in their lives and how they took the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Rome and spread it throughout all of the known Roman world and beyond that. Just an incredible, incredible collection. And then you get to the letters. And the letters, these 21 books these 21 letters that go to all these churches. And so you read Acts, and Paul was in Ephesus and Corinth, and he planted churches in Galatia and in the whole region. And then these letters are actually written to these churches that he planted. Or that these, the, the apostles planted, these letters are written to all those churches, and you get to see what's going on in their life. And so it kind of gives you another snapshot, just like the prophets in the Old Testament give you insight into what is going on and in the Old Testament books. So the letters give you insight into the culture that was going on uh, around the time of the book of Acts. And then you get to Revelation. It's prophecy. Um, And it can be incredibly confusing. And to quote a great, uh, I don't know if he's great, a 20th century philosopher, uh, I've been thinking lately what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, That was Jerry Garcia. That, to me, defines the book of Revelation. What a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, the details, get, we get so caught in them when it's the story to give us hope that God will win in the end. That, that God is faithful and that those who hold on to him, those who follow him, those who cling to him will be saved in the end, that they will be victorious, that there is a hope of heaven, a hope of eternal life, and that our life that we're living right now is not the end, that there is something else, and he is returning again, and that we, regardless of government, regardless of culture, regardless of friends, regardless of family, regardless of whatever else is going on in our life, know that we have a future through Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible book. And understanding the different parts of this Bible, how it's compiled, and and using this uh, amazing tool can can do so much in your life. 1,500 years of literature, 40 different authors of 66 books compiled into one amazing story of redemption that gives us God's communication for our very lives and how we can walk and live with him daily and hear from him. Uh, It is his message to us. Uh, And if you say, I don't believe it's true, I would say, which one? Be more complex than that. That's too simple. If you don't want to give it a chance, that's too simple. Engage this book. And it will change your life. I mean, if we engaged this book, I tell you, if we paid attention to what it said about money, oh, it would change, it would change how we handled credit in this country and the abusive credit promotion that happens. It would change how we live. It would change our economy. It would change, man, if we paid attention, it would change our relationships. It changed how we use our time. It changes how we treat our friends. It would change our views of love and sex. It would change our views of marriage. Uh, it, it would help us avoid our greatest regrets if we engage this. Uh, if our nation paid attention to this, there would be a lot more kids who didn't grow up in a fatherless home 
or a motherless home. If we paid attention to this, there would be a lot less profit on illegal drugs and no market for it. If we paid attention to this, the pornography industry would not exist because we would be free from it and people would have the courage to say no and to shut it down. Um, This was an incredible book that can change all of our lives if we engage it. That's what makes it so amazing. Men who wrote inspired by God to teach us how to live. His message to us, would you engage in it? Um, So what do we do? Where do we go from here? What is the next step for us as we get ready to walk out of here? I would say, first and foremost, say yes to Jesus. If you have not surrendered your life to him, if that is something you have not done yet, What better day when here in a few moments people will be out getting baptized at Camp Naboa? Say yes to Jesus. Surrender your life to him, the one who can take away our sins, give us hope, lead us to salvation and change our lives. Jesus Christ awaits you today if you have not yet said yes to him. And talk to Josh about that after service. The other thing I would say is uh, read one and be one. And what I mean by that is read a chapter of the Bible every day and then choose something to be out of that. The other day I was reading Mark chapter 4, and as I read Mark chapter 4, this, uh, Jesus is talking about seed being scattered among the soil and how people respond to, to Jesus, the message of Jesus. And I read that and I thought, God, I want my heart to always respond to you the way it's supposed to. And so that became my prayer for the day. God, allow my heart to respond to you all day long like it's supposed to, like you want it to. Mold my heart after you. And so I read one, and I decided and started praying to be one. Uh, So read one and be one. Read a chapter a day, be one. And when you finish a book, I encourage you to grab this handout and find the thing that runs concurrent with it and read the other part of the story. And then, here's the thing. Let's, Let's be honest. When it comes to reading the Bible... I think we should just schedule a time. We are all incredibly disciplined people, most of us. Uh, Let's be honest, some of you in this room have gotten up at the same time for the last 20 years every day of your life. Uh, And some of you hit the gym every morning or have breakfast every morning. Uh, We're incredibly disciplined people who live by calendars and plans. And so I would encourage you to schedule in a time where you can get into the word of God and allow it just to to transform your life. Will you engage it? Will you give this book a shot? Maybe start in the book of Mark and start reading and just say, hey, I want to read this and become like it. God, speak to me. What will you do with this incredible text, this incredible communication from God. Let's pray. God, you're good. I just think about the story of redemption, that you love us the way that you do, that you would come and pursue us through Jesus Christ, that you came down and that you have communicated to us, that you have given us everything we need through this book, that it can be the foundation of our communication with you. And God, I I just pray in this moment 
that everybody in this room would say, um, God, I, I want to read your word. And I pray that as they do, you would speak to them, that it would become so real to them, that they would understand it, that they would know you more because of it, God. And uh, we just are so grateful that you love us the way that you do and that you've given us Jesus Christ to save us. Uh, we love you and pray these things in his name.